0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy, and today I'm talking to Tiffany Reckley. Tiffany is a middle school band director in Houston, Texas. In this episode, her and I talk about diversity in band, we talk about the lack of black women in band, and we talk a little bit about her awesome research. So if you're very interested in what we talk about in this episode, please make sure you are not only liking and sharing with your friends, but also check out her website, Black girls do two thanks.
1: My name is Tiffany Reckley. I am a middle school band director, currently residing and teaching in Houston, Texas. I'm a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, where I started not only my educational journey, but also my journey with music. I was a energetic child to say the least. And so my mom didn't know what to do with me. And she told her friend, Hey, I have this two year old. She's just really energetic. And she said, put her in dance class. And so my, my first love was actually dance. I started dance at the age of two and a half and danced all the way till I was 16. And through that, I found like a love of music. I took musical mm-hmm. theater. And, you know, at the time I didn't think much of it, but that was really kind of the start Of my musical journey. A few years after that in elementary school a few of my friends were taking piano lessons so I was like okay I think I want to try that. So I tried piano for a few years that that wasn't my thing (laughs) and so I quickly found out you know okay this doesn't make me as happy I'm gonna stick with dance but it was something about it that just kind of brought it back and I remember being in seventh grade and we took a high school tour and the high school had a band. My, my middle school didn't have a, a music program like that. And so I said, oh, my God, those kids are playing instruments and they sound good and mm-hmm. they're from the neighborhood and they look like me. And like, I'm definitely doing this when I get to high school. So, so I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I didn't actually start playing uh, band instruments until high school. Mm. Um, I took beginning band in high school, ninth grade, and then I started taking choir in 10th grade and I quickly excelled at both. So it was really exciting um, because I had some really great and nurturing teachers who just saw something in me and then they helped me see it in myself. And so um, worked really hard, you know, competed in all state and all city, all district for, you know, all the years that I was in high school and then decided, okay, you know what, this is what I want to do with my life. From there, I just kind of, you know, had my mindset and I had, it was funny, my band director and my choir director were both women. So, you know, they really, really nurtured me when I said, this is what I want to do. And I'm so grateful to them because we had, you know, so many kids that were really interested in studying music. They just started creating courses for us, like theory and, you know, some of these other courses and letting us be class assistants and things like that to kind of get our feet wet. So when it came time to audition, I just, I knew, you know, I knew and I felt it. So that's kind of my my awkward story to like how I got yeah. to where I am today before, before college hit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's great. So I have a few questions about what you were saying about growing up and everything. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that stuck out to me is you were talking about how you first saw kids playing instruments. And you said they looked like me. Yeah. And I think that's such a profound thing because – I mean, I'm obviously a white woman, but I teach in a very urban school district that is very diverse. And one of the biggest things that I'm working on is making sure that my students of color are seeing musicians that look like them in order to, A, retain them and keep them going because they are outnumbered. And B to inspire them to think that, hey, you know what, I can I can do this and that sort of motivational piece. So yes. how obviously that was one of the influences and what made you want to start learning an instrument. But how profound was that looking back on your life now, how profound was that moment for you?
1: I think it was pretty profound. My mom is also an educator. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to grow up in New York City, you know there's culture and and things all around you and awareness and and lots of fine arts around you. So, you know, we would go, I was one of the few friends of mine that my mom would take us to go see Broadway shows and different things Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, or concerts at Madison square garden, like that was, that was like our life growing up. My mom really wanted us to be exposed, but you know, I noticed a lot of those artists and those fine artists and those performers, you know, they, they just didn't look like me. And so You know, it wasn't that I didn't think it was a possibility, but, you know, a lot of the teachers that I had along the way, I, I, until I got to college and attended an HBCU, I, I never had a black teacher. Mm. I never had a person of color who looked like me or somebody who maybe have had a similar, you know, experience with race in this field. For me, even though the teacher at that high school didn't look like me, I was like, these kids are from the same neighborhood I'm from. And they're doing something that seems really cool to me. And so it had a huge impact on me, especially because the school I went to was the same situation. Everybody looks like me, but, you know, we didn't even have that experience offered to us. My school just wasn't big enough to, to have a music program. We had some music classes, you know, we had one of the local musicians who would come over and try and teach us little things, you know, like solfege and how to sing and and do simple melodies and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it was never anything like that. And I think as far as from a musician standpoint, being that young and seeing other young musicians of color who were doing something that was probably equally as new to them and sounding great and being passionate about it like that, that really put a... I guess you could say it really put a bug in my ear about like okay this is definitely something you can still pursue you know because i i think underneath it was still there all that time from those days of musical theater and piano and you know i just think i needed to just find my niche and when i saw that i was like oh my gosh like i could do that you know they're doing it i could do it so that's kind of what sparked it and we actually moved from New York. I went to high school in Virginia. It was literally like right at eighth grade year. My parents were like, we're moving. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, okay, well, I guess my dream of going to high school and playing is not going to be a thing. But when we moved, they actually had a ninth grade beginning band class. So I thought it was just divine intervention. Like it's yeah. made, it's purpose. It's for me to be able to do this. So, so that was really cool.
0: I think it's very cool that you went to a program that did start a beginning band sort of thing in ninth yeah. grade because that's pretty unheard of and right. a lot of teachers are afraid of starting kids later for example my school we were trying to this past year we were trying to expand our band program we started we normally start kids in fourth grade in my district but we started we had a bunch of beginning band kids in the sixth grade band and so that was a challenge in and of itself but yeah. there was a lot of opposition about even starting them in sixth grade because now they're two years behind. And so I think that's very interesting that they had a beginning band program in ninth grade, you know, because if it weren't for that, then,
1: then I wouldn't even have the opportunity. You were yeah. able to start in ninth grade and you still went to school
0: for music. Yeah, you on scholarship
1: too. I mean, I was, when I say it's it's so rare, and even now that's like why I talk to my kids like in my school, because I'm like, it doesn't matter you know, people will say you're the exception to the rule, but as long as you're working really, really hard at this and, you know, you're doing what you need to do, then I do believe it'll work out, you know, because I was just determined. I was just determined. I I think I had all my credits finished by like the end of sophomore year or beginning of junior year. And so I just started taking extra music classes. I was doubling up on band and choir and Mm -hmm. you know wherever I could. And so for me, you know, being able to have the ability to do that too. I think that also, again, lending itself to, you know, having the extra playing time because I, we couldn't afford private lessons and things like that. So, you know, I just had to find other ways, coming to school early, staying late, you know, just really plugging in the time. I think that's the most, you know, the biggest difference between starting early and starting young. When I look at being a high schooler, I was super focused, you know, when you're younger, you tell kids to practice, you give them practice sheets. They're like, okay, I'm going to practice. Like, you're yeah. <laughs> not in that mindset yet. But I feel like because I was in high school and I knew like, this is what I want to do. And I know what is required of me. And I know when I go to college, like I'm going to have to plug in more hours. Like that work ethic wasn't as difficult. And so I felt like I was able to advance a little faster because because most of the kids I played with, they were playing, you know, like you said, since fourth grade, or even since sixth grade, and my first year in the concert band, which was uh, my sophomore year of high school, I made fifth chair out of 25 clarinets. Like, Ooh. I mean, I was like, and you know, at this point, this is just, you know, our local high school band. It wasn't, you know, yeah. it wasn't a big deal. But at the time, like, I remember I think it was English Folk Song "Sweet" And like, there was just this run that we just had to do. And I just practiced relentlessly. And I was like, even if I take it super slow, like I just, I know that it's gonna trip me up in this spot and this spot. But I mean, knowing that, being able to think that through, I think really helped in my progression. Because I understand what you're saying. And I mean, the schools that I teach in are urban inner city schools, Title I schools, schools with, you know, huge, huge, huge numbers of children of color. I think in most of my years of teaching, I've taught in schools that are predominantly African American, Latino American. And so, you know, as far as diversity goes, it's it's usually either 50 50 split or 75 25 split of like those two big ethnic populations. But, you know, a lot of my kids are in the same boat or similar boats where either A, their elementary school doesn't offer it. You know, I have five elementary schools that currently feed into me and only three offer music.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so and I think only two offer band so I'm you know dealing with that and then when they're coming to me in sixth grade it's like you know I've got some kids who really really know like the core stuff and all they got to do is just apply it to an instrument some kids who don't know you know what anything is you know what is an instrument so for me I feel like even thinking back to who I was as a student taking that same mindset and instilling that in my kids it helps them a little bit Because I know that my kids are behind the eight ball. And I try to teach them like, just because you're starting a little later doesn't mean you can't catch up. It doesn't mean you can't be just as successful as the kid across the tracks, because I'm going to teach you everything that that kid's learning. You're going to get the same quality of education that that kid's getting. You just have to have the determination to just you know push yourself to get through it. And I think that, That's kind of the things that we have to really just instill in all of our kids, regardless of what they look like. But I know for them to see me as a Black female band director, that that is all to itself new. You know, they're not used to seeing that either. So, you know, because I get together in a room with my colleagues and it's like... (laughs) hey, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I kind of stick out a little bit. You know, I've got this big, you know, Auburn fro and then I'm the only black female who might be in the room or one of two. Yeah. My immediate middle schools, I think I, I was one of two and Houston ISD where I work, we have like almost 300 middle schools. I think there's like a hundred and something band programs. Wow. Um, and you can probably count us. The oh yeah. Color, you know, on, on one hand or two hands. But I think it's a start because I think kids will see that and they'll yes. get motivated, you know? Yes. So.
0: Yeah, representation is so important. People don't give it enough credit. And you mentioned that you had a female band director and you, always had, you also had a female choir teacher. Yes. I'm a high school band director, so I only make up 15% of the high school band director population being a female. And so do you think that because you had a female band director that had some influence on your career path and guidance or that sort of thing or... What do you think that influence came from to pursue that as a career?
1: I think for me, I don't know if it lends itself more to the fact that I had you know, really strong, great female role models mm-hmm. you know, who were my music teachers versus the fact that I knew it was just something I wanted to do. Yeah, And I knew that, you know, that if I ever needed to rely on a resource or if I ever needed to call someone for support, I felt comfortable. And I mean, to this day, I still call my, my high school band director. I mean, she just texted me <laughs> literally yesterday, like checking on me like, how's everything going? And, you oh, know, I call so her great. for advice all the time. Like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this with my kids because I started off as a high school director and I, I taught in high school for several years. And then yeah. um, before I came to teach middle school. And so now it's funny because she teaches middle school now. So, you know, I get to call her and I'm like, what are your middle schoolers doing about this or, you know, something. So it's really great because it's kind of where we have similar, you know, life stories where we both started off as high school directors at the beginning of our career for years and then moved to middle school. So again, I look at it more so of, I just feel there's a level of comfortability where, I could call them or, you know, even when I was in high school, I could go to them and ask them questions about what it was like. And I didn't feel like they wouldn't understand. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. almost one of those things where it's, it's unspoken. Like, what's it like in college when you're really thinking, what's it like for a female who's going through a male dominated music program? You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of refreshing. I think another thing for me, and it just may have something to do with the way I was brought up and where I grew up, I think being in New York City, you know, in the in the 80s and the 90s, there's a, there's a lot of diversity there anyways, but I was able to see women of color doing music, you know, yeah. and doing it professionally. And so maybe not, you know, conductors or sitting in the orchestra, you know, sitting in ensembles, but I was able to see that. And I think for me, it was like a coupling of the two. And then three, I just wanted to do it. Like I just knew, yeah, okay, yeah. I want to do so. Even regardless if I'm the only person who thinks this way or looks this way or whatever, like I'm, I'm just so determined. And so, you know, I do think it lends itself to, again, they created that space, that, that safe right. space and yeah. they invested in me. And I think they invested in me because one, I was a young adult, I was a young lady, and they did see that I really wanted it, whereas mm-hmm. I don't know if a male director would have taken the time, yeah. you know, to let me sit in their office and ask them 50 million questions, or, you know, let me come in early to practice for my, you know, college auditions, or, you know, call them crying when I thought I did horrible on an audition, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it's, yeah. it's stuff like that, just that level of support, I feel like, lends itself from having those those female teachers and those influences, and that's something that, even as an adult, I try and offer my young female students. And I try to do it with my male students as well, but more so my female students, because I know that teaching band, you know, a lot of girls think it's not girly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I show them that it is girly. I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny because it's now like, you know, it's like band director 2.0. Like my band director was 1.0. Now I'm 2.0 and (laughs) kids will be the next generation and you know, they'll make things even more so acceptable and comfortable, you know, for their next generation. So, you know, I try to create that, just that safe space for them, you know, to kind of feel that same way because maybe my background doesn't resonate with them just Mm -hmm. because we look alike doesn't mean we have similar experiences, you know, and I do recognize that as well. I think that, like I said, it's, I don't think they were uh, 100% influence, but they definitely contributed in a major way to me making the decision to pursue this. Yeah. Especially through those hard college days of, not seeing any women.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my next question was about your college experiences. Because you have, obviously you have your undergraduate degree and your master's degree from two different institutions. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what your college experiences were like, not only being a female, but also being a Black woman in music education, attempting to be a band director, that sort of thing, pursuing that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I know. It's a lot to unpack. So I I knew that I really wanted to attend an HBCU, a historically black college and university. And mm-hmm. so I kind of started my search there. Um, I really just, I had a cousin who went to an HBCU and I knew that it was a place where I could go and feel comfortable and have a sense of community. And again, it's, it's someone may, made a comment probably a few years ago, and I think it's the perfect sentiment. You have your entire life to be a minority. So go somewhere for a little while where you feel like you're a part of the majority and really – again, be able to have those connections with people. And so I selected an HBCU that had a bachelor of music program because I knew, you know, I wanted a specific degree. And so that kind of narrowed it down and I wound up attending Xavier University of Louisiana, which is in New Orleans. And it was, it actually was not my first choice. I, I graduated like number 18 out of like 500 something in my high school class. And so, you know, when you're at the top of your class, all these schools start sending you like mail, like, Hey, come here look, look at this. And I got a postcard from them and I was like, Oh, I've never heard of this school. You know, I'm. I'm set on going to this other university over here. You couldn't tell me I wasn't going here. And I looked at this postcard and I was like, oh, this looks like, you know, let's let's look at this school. Let's consider this school. And so when I started looking them up online and doing my research, I was like, wow, they have the program I want, you know, it's in new orleans i think i could live there for 4 years you know yeah. <laughs> coming from you know i got to move away from home i have to just be considerate like hey you have to live somewhere else for 4 years so consider that and you know it just seemed like they had really strong values that really resonated with me and so for me i was just kind of like okay let's dig deeper everything from setting up the the audition to you know getting there and i'll say it like this i had another audition at a, another hbc the week before and i did terrible but it was the school I wanted to go to for four years I knew I was going there I mean I had the t-shirt and everything but when I got there I was so nervous I just like it was me and the band director we were in his office and you know some of those private studio offices are super small mm-hmm. and so you know I was already intimidated and nervous and shaking like oh, I finally made it And I just, I totally bombed that audition. And I'm standing there and he hands me the first clarinet part to the nutcracker. He's like, now sight read. And I'm like, I've never seen these notes before. What do you mean? Like, (laughs) you know, and I knew I was going to have to sight read. But I mean, I think I was just mentally already broken down that like, I couldn't even get through that. And so the professor leans back in his chair and he says, you know, I could tell in the first 30 seconds, whether you were the quality that we were looking for here and, you know, so on, so on, so forth. And I think my heart just like sank. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you know, and I had another audition at, a, at another big university in the same area, like same day, I wound up canceling. I was like, like, you know, this is just not for me. Like I knew in my heart of hearts, when you're supposed to be somewhere, those doors will open up. That's my belief. So a week later, I get to New Orleans, and we take the tour of Xavier, and New Orleans is beautiful, and, you know, palm trees, and great yeah. weather, and the energy was just right, and I get to the music building, and one of the professors walks up to me, and he's like, you're gonna be great, it's gonna be fine, you know, we just, we're just in there just listening, to you do your thing, and from that instance... I was like, wow, this is a totally different experience. So I walk into my audition and we were in the recital hall. So there was space (laughs) and I could breathe. And, you know, there was a panel of all my future professors and, you know, they had a pianist and he was like, do you have the accompaniment? And I said, yeah, I have it. I've never played with the accompaniment before, but here's the sheet music. And I give him the sheet music. And that was the first time I had ever played with an accompanist. And he, he leans over afterwards. He's like, you know, have you played with the piano before? And I was like, no, that was even my first time hearing it. He was like, you followed along like so well. He was like, can we just do one more section? He was like, let's just do this and see if we can sync this up. And I was like, okay, sure. you know. And it felt yeah. like as a, as a kid who's coming, you know, 17 hours from home to a, you know, a different place, that changed the trajectory for me. Because yes. for me, I, I saw a group of people who were not seeing where I was at that moment. They, they, they knew I was a scared high schooler and they'd seen enough auditions, but they saw that I was able to be taught. I was able to be coached. I was able to listen to what they were saying and respond to what they were asking me to do. And I think that's the difference that it made for me. Yeah. And that's the difference I try and get my students to understand too. Sometimes when you move on to another level, There's a lot of directors who are not going to, they're not going to accept where you are. They want you ready made. They want you here. And I don't think that that's always a reality because I feel like we have to look at our students from the standpoint of, are they able to do what we're asking them to do? Are they able to be taught? Because my job as an educator is to grow you. And so Mm -hmm. if you're already fulfilled, I'm not really growing you, you know, and maybe some people's idea of growth is I can mold you and shape you it's our students' job to mold and shape themselves
0: yes. because
1: they have to be able to make those creative decisions. And that's what being a musician is, not because I told you to make a crescendo happen there, that's where it was, or because it's written on the paper. It's because you sense that in the music, that's what's supposed to happen. And so I try to think back again to my experience in my auditions. And, you know, I feel like that audition is what sealed it for me. And I had an amazing time throughout my undergrad. Xavier has a super strong program. I think it's just such, it's such an impactful program. The professors were awesome. You know, they, they make you know what you know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, do not, they do not skimp. It's just a testament to how they wanted us to be prepared. I wish Xavier got more credit for their music program than they do because, again, it's a super small program. The university is known for their sciences and getting kids into medical school. And so, but it's it's really got a special place in my heart. And when I walked into my first classroom day one, I remember calling up my theory professor who I couldn't stand. I, I thought he was just so cruel to me. <laughs> and I called him and I thanked him. And I said, thank you for just staying on me and being so hard on me and making sure that I knew what I knew so that when I walked out, I was prepared you know, yeah. and I was able to walk into my first classroom being prepared. And, and as a high school director, fresh out of college, you know, your students are within four years of you, four to five years. Oh, of yeah, so, I know. <laughs> you know, that can be a little intimidating in itself. But I was able yeah. to walk in there and be a total professional. And I'm so thankful for that. And I think that my undergrad truly prepared me for that. Again, had a lot of professors who just took me under their wing. But I was one of two women of color in the entire music ed program. And we were the last two females to graduate, and that was going on 11 years now. They haven't had any other young ladies who've come through the music education program, other programs, performance, of course, and things like that, but, you know, not very many who come through music ed, instrumental. And so, you know, when I graduated from there, again, another group of resources, I was able to call them. Even today, I had a professor check on me last week, like my mentor from college. He was like, how you hanging? You doing all right? You know, or... Anytime I go back to visit, I'm in his office looking through his bookshelf, like, you got any new books? And That's I'm great. always swiping a book or something like that. I'm like, I'll bring it back next time I come back. You know, even still, I just feel like it's such a sense of camaraderie. And, you know, they've invited me back as a distinguished alumni. And so I talk to a lot of the undergrads. Yeah. <laughs> music ed about like what it's really like when you come over to this side and so it feels good to be able to give back as well you know I've sat in and performed with their ensembles a couple of times since graduation so that feels good as well to kind of connect with the students there and I feel like that was the perfect decision for me as an undergrad when it was time for me to go to grad school I was actually in grad school for counseling because I figured, okay, if I ever don't want to do this anymore, what will I want to do? And I was like, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll be a school counselor. And I was like a year and a half through the program. And I was like, okay, this is good. I'm learning a lot of good stuff. I can use in my classroom, but like, uh, it's not, you know, it's just not me. I, I just knew it wasn't me. And at the time I had just recently moved to Texas. I had dropped down and started teaching middle school so I could finish my graduate studies. And I mean, UNT, University of North Texas, they sent out this email through TMEA and they were like, hey, we're starting this new master's program. And I think it was like October, like the first October I had lived here and I was like, I'm applying today. And like, I went, <laughs> and like, I applied and, and I got a response from one of my professors there who wound up being my mentor and still a great mentor. And that experience in itself was amazing. So it's a summers yeah. only program. So you spend three summers on site six weeks and you receive 12 credits each year. And so it's really, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, Oh yeah, um, but because you're basically doing like a week and a day. And you're in class and it's really intensive, but the pedagogy and just the you know the resources I walked out with, and you know, everything from my capstone program and just my love of like research and really finding my voice. I feel like when I got to UNT, I was very afraid of who I could potentially be. Mm. And then when I graduated, I was fully aware and fully confident in who I am as a black female band director. And You know, at first I was kind of a little timid about that. And my professors were like, no, if that's what, like, let's expound on that. And they really pushed me to step outside of the box. And they were like, you know, do you realize how amazing you are and the things that you've done and like, you know, you know, most directors wouldn't have even taken some of the risks you've taken or, or done some of the things you've done in your career, but you seem to take a challenge and just run towards it. Yeah. And I, you know, I was like, well, I don't think of it like that. I just think of it as that's part of me. And, you know, they're like, no, like, like really dig into that. And so I think that experience was totally different for me because for sure, you know, at that time I'd been a director for several years already. So, you know, I was just kind of like, what else is there? I, I can pull out of myself. Mm-hmm. To, to realize about myself, to be able to give to my kids and become the best educator I can be. And so that experience to me was just, again, it was awesome. I wound up meeting so many different people. I got to present my research at the state conference. Ooh. I co-authored a piece that was published with one of my professors last year. Yeah. Cause we're in 2020 last year. And so, you know, I've just, you know, and since then I've done other writing and other research and you know, my website for my capstone, again, it's just going to be something that continues to grow and be added on. And so I really kind of found my voice. And I really found the voice that I can champion for my kids. Yeah. And that I think was the most important thing that I took away from being at North Texas was, you know, you can be this great musician. I mean, I never thought I'd even be good enough to get into North Texas and like, here I am. And later they told me I was the first person accepted to the program. Woo! So, yes, yeah, Tiffany. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so not only that, I also was the person who stayed the longest. I got 40 hours because I stayed to take an extra psychology of music course, which I should not have done but it was great <laughs> I mean I mean I will say this from that I it, it definitely changed my perspective I shouldn't say that because the class was just really like I was like I'm done I'm done, mm-hmm. done. but I, I literally stayed and it taught me so much about how I look at my kids and the expectations that I give to them mm. and where those expectations are coming from and it helped me challenge my own thoughts so yeah. I'm kind of glad I took that last class but even you know Everything from, like you said, the way we prepare them to the way they practice, to yep. do they know how to practice. And, and you know, we're asking them to do things in ensemble that when they're at home individually practicing, they don't line up. So yeah. how do we connect the two? And, you know, so it was it it allowed me the ability, again, to just start questioning so many things and really just expanding my thought process. So. I think the difference between undergrad and grad is undergrad definitely strengthened who I was as a musician and solidified who I was going to be as an educator. And then going to grad school, it really just helped push me as a person and make me an even better educator and um, and be able to stand on my principles and not be ashamed about standing on my principles and the things I believe in and doing what's right for the kids that I teach. You yeah. know, because at that time I was comparing myself to other people and I was like, oh, I'm not equal to these great award-winning band directors. What am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had that moment, but then I was like, uh, you're a badass. You're doing some great stuff in your room. You're doing, your kids are learning so much. I mean, I have kids now they're in their mid twenties and they still will reach out to me and be like, you were like the best band teacher. You taught us so much. Like, you And I had one kid, he said, you know, I'm a junior in college and you were still the toughest teacher I've ever had to like, he's like, you made sure we knew our stuff forward and backward and you wouldn't let up on us and you just made sure that we were able to do the things. He's like, I still use that as a, as a junior in college and mm-hmm. he's majoring in like political science. So, you know, it's, it's just such an honor to hear that. And that's how I know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. When I get kids who say, you know, it's the bigger things in life that you taught us, because every kid's not going to be a musician. Every kid's yep. not going to go on and major in music. But if you can teach them a life lesson and a life skill, man, that's, that's what I think my purpose is, is really yeah. about. It's just to get the kids to get skills that will help them somewhere in life, to just make them better people.
0: Loved all of that. That was so great. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting here nodding, like, yes, Tiffany, I agree with everything. It's amazing. It's
1: <laughs> like, okay, you're going off on a tangent. No, 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 no. Tangents <laughs>
0: are great. Yes, we get so much information from people when they just they just spew it all out. It's great. And I was thinking of a few things while you were talking about your your college experiences. And one of the big things that I've been noticing more and more recently, I went to the Women's Band Directors International had um, their organization, they had an online sort of, kind of like an online sort of conference. And one of the sessions was about black women in band. And they had a bunch of black women who teach at the university level band. And they said, one of the things they said was that there are only eight of them in our entire country. And so I guess there's a lot of layers to this piece, like why are there so few and what sort of support systems can we provide those girls who want to be band directors and that sort of thing? So do you have like any sort of idea from your perspective of why there are so few pursuing band?
1: Yes, this is actually a lot of what my research was about. Mm -hmm. So my focus for my research was Black female band directors in urban Title I schools, How do we take our biggest population of students, which a lot of times tends to be, you know, young black students, female students, and how do we get them to take this love that they have for music ed, for instrumental music ed, to encourage them to go to college, to support them throughout college, to get them into the field and to come back into these title one schools in which they came from and and have them serve. Because a lot of times, you know, they tend to go suburban areas or areas where, you know, they don't have to grind and struggle as much. And I understand that because you know, that's not everybody's dream. And so, you know, but one of the things that I really noticed is it's in that part of one, really finding those students, you know, and sewing into them as students even if they're in fourth grade or, or sixth grade or ninth grade, if you see the student who has the potential to be a very strong leader in music education, you nurture that, you know, you, you sow into them, you give them words of affirmation and positivity. And, you know, I think sometimes just hearing, you know, a teacher say, you know what, you give really great instructions as a section leader. Have you ever thought about like studying music? Like you'd make a great music teacher. Yeah. You know, sometimes they'll, they're in middle school. Well, my middle school is now they're like, no, that's not what I want to do. But I mean, <laughs> think if you were to hear that for several years in middle school, and then you get to high school and you realize like, Hey, you know what? I can really do this. This is something I'm passionate about. And you hear it there. And then you get to college and you know, college is hard as heck anyways. You know, music ed is one of the toughest majors. I think it's like top five or something like. Craziest, most crucial majors. And, you know, you're, of course, doubting yourself as as a person of color, is probably, again, one of just a handful of females in a program. And you, you know, you need that encouragement, you need that motivation. So, you know, who's there mentoring you and supporting you in that? And then you get out and it's your first year and you're like, what do I do? You know, who do I go to? And a lot of times I'm noticing, you know, depending on where you go, a lot of people who are. Teamed up with mentors are not necessarily equally yoked with their mentors. And so, you know, here in Texas, you know, they go on a grid system. And so, you know, the biggest is like 5A, and that's like schools that have like 3,000, 4,000 kids. And sometimes you compare, you know, those big, huge school directors who have like a probably a $50,000 budget for directors on staff say I was a first year teacher, you're pairing them with me. I'm at a very urban inner city title one school with like maybe 500 kids. And I'm the only director. I don't have any assistants. I don't have a budget. And I got these horns that have probably not been looked at at, you know, by repair shop in years. Like, what do I do with that information? You know what I'm saying? So sometimes Mm -hmm. I think we, we lose people that way. But then I look at like what's happening on the collegiate level. One, if we aren't getting, young women of color into music programs they're not going to graduate so we have to first get them into music programs and it's it's known that unless they're coming from these diverse areas or suburban areas where they are able to get private lessons and they are able to start band at an early age fourth grade or sixth grade then they are less likely to you know go ahead and matriculate to college and study music so there's a gap there And then once they're getting to college there's not enough support so a lot of you know young ladies are kind of falling off there because they're like i'm not getting support i need i felt like i wasn't good enough to get in here anyways but i was that little fraction of a person that made it you know i don't know how i made it but i made it and then you know i'm just not getting support so i'm just gonna leave music at all together and we lose them there Mm -hmm. and then you might have that small fraction that makes it into the field and, you know, for us, we know as women, it's really hard to just be a high school director. I mean, the, the amount of time that you're giving to your program, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, so some yeah. women, they kind of decide, like, what do I want in life? How do I balance it? And that's a big question. And then I think, you know, we lose some directors there. But when we think about matriculating a college and the collegiate level, when I think of what it will take for me to work at a four-year university, right? I've got to go back and get my PhD. Okay, well, if I go back and get my Ph.D., you know, how am I going to take care of that? How am I going to pay my bills and go get my Ph.D. and so on and so forth? Right. So there's a concern there. And then say my Ph.D. is covered or I just go for it and I say whatever. I'm going to do what I need to do to get my Ph.D. and then it's finding a job. Well, guess what? I don't want to teach in Iowa, but Iowa's who's offering me a job. So am I willing to move? You know, there's, there's a lot of hesitation I know around that, especially in the community of color, like it's to go somewhere unknown without a support system, without a community there, it can be very scary. And so especially in a place where you're super minority, you know, that's a little intimidating in itself. So you get the job, you're out there, you know, in the middle of Iowa, and you know, you work for a few years, and then where are you where are you landing jobs? You know, where's the opportunity presenting itself? And then, are those committees that are reviewing your application are they taking you seriously? You know, are they taking everything that you've done seriously? And if you're not an award winning director, or if you haven't written all this stuff, sometimes they they're just kind of like, okay, never mind. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you kind of have to have it in your mind. I think that that's something that you want to pursue and then carve out what's best for you with that. A lot of the black female band directors I know that at collegiate level, they've done what they needed to do to get to that level. But at some point in their career, they knew that that's what they wanted to do. And because they had that mindset, they started carving out strategically what they needed to do in their career to get to that point. And I think that's a big aspect of it too. And then when you're in college or on the collegiate level, I think it's just different from K-12. You know, I never wanted to be a collegiate professor. I never wanted to be a teacher educator. I wouldn't mind possibly one day being a music ed coordinator and just again making sure like that mentorship and support is there. That's something that yeah. like, I'm really passionate about right now. But you know, I think when it comes to the collegiate level, it's just you have to really have it in your mind. It's a different ball game. I think it's not like the way you get to interact with kids on a K twelve level. On the mm-hmm. secondary level, you can. I want to say you can kind of have fun, you know, when you're at the collegiate level, you know, I think it's still fun, I guess. But, you know, for me, (laughs) I look at it like I like laughing with my middle schoolers all day. I really miss teaching high school, but I just don't have the time to commit to it. But I'm like, I kind of, you know, I like laughing with my little weird, awkward seventh graders and stuff like that, because, you know, that's who they are. And so, again, I think it's, you know, it's hard to pinpoint why I think, representation may have something to do with it. But again, I, you know, I just, it's hard to say if that's what it is, or if it's just a lack of, you know, Black females completing degree programs and staying in the field long enough. Mm-hmm. And if they have the, if they have the desire to even go to that level. I don't think a lot of the Black female band directors that I've talked to and, and you know, communicated with, there aren't too many who have expressed that they want to go to the post-secondary level. They just, yeah. you know... And I know a ton of them who are finishing PhDs right now that are like, yep, I'm going to have this PhD and I'm going to have it, you know, but never hear them talking about, man, I'd love to, you know, be over this university or this university's music program. And I don't know, it's kind of hard. And I mean, it could vary. It could vary from area to area, right? Like maybe where these handful of band directors are, maybe they're going to be the spark that happens for that, you know, that next group Mm -hmm. um, where they're able to see that. And they're like, yeah, I'm determined. I'm going to be just like, you know, professor so-and-so. And And we did have, at at my undergrad, we, we had a couple of female professors, but they were in the vocal division. So I think it's a little more common to see more women at the vocal side than it is on the instrumental side. And I'll even say orchestrally, I've seen more Black women with orchestra than with band on the collegiate level. So, you know, it's just It's hard to pinpoint it. I think we just overall in music education, we just need more diversity at the at the secondary post-secondary level. And yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with there's this old guard of what's expected, you know, again, prior to you getting that role. And then, you know, once you have the role, what's expected and, you know, do people really want to deal with that? All that goes along with working at a collegiate level because a lot of people don't realize it's, it's constant research you know you're dealing with a different level a university beast is not like a k-12 you know beast at all so um there's that to consider i think that the few directors that i've spoken to that teach at that level they just they have passions to do other things in music education as well yeah like I know one she's really interested in like structuring music education at hbcus totally different like streamlining it almost so that you know programs are making sure that regardless of the size of your program you're still targeting you know certain things to prepare students and I'm like I love that thought but that's her dream and she knew she had to be at the collegiate level to be able to do that so you know it's I think it's stuff like that that's intertwined and then I think that some of the directors that I see that are out there they they're well known and well respected in the band world. Mm-hmm. I will definitely say that women like Eris Golden, you know, up there killing it at Michigan. And, you know, we just had another uh, director who was hired at Penn. We constantly see them, you know, getting these promotions. But again, I think it's something that, you know, it's a desire of theirs to to really do. But I would love to see it change. I mean, I would love to see it change, not only for our students to have more diverse professors, but just for a university setting. I think you need People who just not only look different, but have different experiences because you teach based on your experiences. And a lot of the professors I've seen who necessarily aren't my professors, they've been out of the classroom for 20, 30 years and you're teaching me techniques that are a little antiquated. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're teaching me based on stuff that was really popular back then Mm -hmm. and, you know, not now. And, you know, and so sometimes I do, you know, I think that the rotation of professors out it happens in like these big bands, right? These big yeah. waves of like, okay, now, you know, we think of now. Now I'm starting to see a lot more professors retire. So I'm hoping a lot of younger, you know, younger people who are new to the profession are kind of taking that on because now that's going to give you more updated perspectives on music yeah. education than people who are, you know, into studying things like race and gender or, you know, sexuality or all these other things that are big in our classrooms now. And now you're able to teach that to these, you know, these undergraduate students and you're more open and expansive in your thinking and you push your students to be more open and expansive in their thinking because we teach how we're taught. And so, you know, a lot of our professors are teaching us how they were taught. And when you question that, it's like, but this is the way it's always been done for 400 years. And I'm like, but why? You know, I'm that kid. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) You know, it doesn't have to be that way. We're in the new 400 years. Like, let's bring it current. And I just think it's so important. You know, I had a college professor when I was graduating from Xavier. You have to do your comps for education and for music. So when I was doing my education comps, one of the questions they asked me was, they were like, you know, would you ever use the local music, which a lot of times there's like bounce music, brass band music, would you ever use that in your teaching? And I was like, oh, of course. I was like, it's part of the kid's culture. And like, they need to be validated in that. And And I'm just like going off. And the professor's sitting there like, okay, you know, she just, you know, she was excited. And, but I know if I had been in another setting, or a student who hadn't been exposed, or somebody who wasn't aware of the culture in the area that I taught in, I've been like, oh no, you know, they we know we need to teach them this, that, and the third. Yeah, they need to balance the classics with, you know, with trap music. Like I really do believe, you know, we need to, that's how we're gonna integrate kids into what we're doing because mm-hmm. they have to feel validated in the music they're listening to and, and making themselves in the music that we're asking them to recreate. You yeah. know. And so I think that you know, again, it's, it's, it has everything to do with goals, you know, and, but I'm hoping to see more professors again, who just, who can give a more diverse outlook on what it is to be at that level. And then maybe that will inspire people, you know, to kind yeah. of go to the collegiate level. And they're like, okay, I can come up here and be free thinking and, you know, challenge other people to, to, you know, think about things in a different way. But I don't think we really see that. I think right now we just see a lot of regurgitation of the same stuff. So, you know, Oh yeah. If you're not interested in that, or you're not interested in like flipping some tables, then, (laughs) you know, that's, (laughs) that's kind of what we're going to be seeing. So, so I think the women that are there, you know, they're interested in, in, you know, shaking some things up. So, you know, I'm excited to see what they, they do and, and other women of color, you know, because I think of my experience as a black woman, but I went somewhere and there was a young lady, she was Hindu. I think she was Hindu. And I was like, wow, like, how do you feel? You know, I know how I feel, but how yeah. do you feel? And, you know, we don't always, you know, I know a lot of times people lump people of color together. And this is a conversation I was having recently, like, we have to start to disaggregate that. Because when you start to say people of color all the time, you're you're almost turning a blind eye to the fact that everybody from a different ethnic or racial background has a similar experience, and we don't. Exactly. Um, you know, and I feel like, that's why your podcast is so important. Cause I'm like, man, like think of all the different um, underrepresented voices that are yeah. out there. like, you yeah. know, I always think of what is it like to be an Asian female band director? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen an Asian female band director. You know, I know I've seen more Latina band directors coming up in the ranks and more black women, of course, but you know, there's just other, populations that just aren't represented anyways. And I mean, obviously that has a lot of more social context, right? History, more Asians tend to go into orchestra than band, you know, that's kind of a thing or, you know, orchestral studies under piano versus you know learning how to blow a trumpet but why is that right so again yeah. there are questions that kind of feed into all these things and i think that's what comes from the post-secondary level our thinking and how we approach education so until you've got some people who are ready to charge up the old guard and shake some things up And those people are ready to retire. Mm -hmm. I think the universities, though, just have to be more willing and accepting to take a chance on people, too. You know, it's not always people's desires. You probably have a lot more people applying, a lot more Black women applying for these positions that just aren't being given the chance. Again, it might be credentials. They're not up to the university's, you know, par or whatever. But I feel like, you know, again, it's what can you see? What potential can you see in somebody? you know and maybe not what they're coming to the table with but what they can bring to your table to make it better so it's I know that was like a roundabout way to get back to the point but I mean I think when we're talking about more black females in the on the collegiate level you know again it could it could go in so many different ways but there's so many other things societally that I think impact that yeah so it's it's just that's a web all in itself you know when you really think about it Mm -hmm. it really is a web all in itself
0: yeah. And so there's a few things that I was thinking of when you were talking about that lack of representation in the field. And one of the things you mentioned was your website. So you have a website called blackgirlsdoband Com. Can you talk a little bit about your website, how it came to be, what is on that website in case people want to go check it out?
1: So when I first started my master's program, you know, year one, you're just taking a bunch of courses year 2 it's like okay now you have to start thinking about your thesis topic or your capstone and at, at UNT the summer's program you do a capstone and the goal of the capstone is to be something that you can put back into music education the field of music education that can be utilized by other directors and i started thinking about again at that time who i was i was the i was one of three black women in the entire program yeah the first Two years. We didn't get additional black people in the program until year three, and they added two black males. So then by the time I graduated, there were only five of us out of like probably almost 50 people in the program, because remember, it was new. And so I started looking around. I was like, okay, we have one in orchestra, one in choir in the vocal track, and one in the band track. I was the only black woman in the band track. And I was the only black woman in the band track who had taught at urban settings. Everybody Mm -hmm. else that come from suburban settings with things like harmony directors, I didn't even know what a harmony director was like, you know, there's things that they were teaching me and then there were things that I was teaching them that they were like, you've experienced that? How is that? You know, or you what do you mean you didn't, you know, teach your kids about tritones and you know, things like that. (laughs) And I'm just kind of like, I have to break it down to my kids a little different. They know it. They know the terminology. They know how to do it. Like that's the ultimate goal. Right. And so I think I started thinking on my experience and I was like, this is why a lot of people don't come for their masters because mm-hmm. they feel inept. They feel inadequate. They feel like their experiences aren't enough to compete with other other directors. Yeah. And I really started to, again, I kind of started to beat myself up because here I am sitting with directors who are talking about getting all ones at competition. I'm like, I've never even you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be at amazing schools where I've built band programs and I've repaired band programs and I've strengthened band programs, but like, I'd never been at a school where we'd even been given the opportunity to go compete. You Mm -hmm. know, my school either wasn't paying for it or, you know, they didn't have the money or I didn't have a budget. And I was just struggling to get, you know, I was doing like donors choosing GoFundMes just to get basic supplies. Yeah. So, you know, my struggle was a little different. And my focus was a little different. I did not having the same experience. And I was thinking to myself, how many, and I started thinking from my experience, how many black women have just said, you know, I'm not even gonna go for it. Like we were just talking about, like I'm not even gonna go for it because I know there's nothing I can get from the program that's gonna help me or nothing that I can give to the program that's gonna help it. But I love the fact and I'm so proud of the fact of, that I was able to give perspective to a lot of other directors who hadn't had similar experience. And I was really proud of the fact that I chose to stay in urban schools and I chose to work at some of these schools that were turnaround schools, like not just Title One, but turnaround, F failing schools, like. Just lots of stuff going on, trauma left and right, you know, and still being able to make a band happen, you know, and have not only just a band happen, not just any band, quality musicians that are able to make sound musical decisions. And I think, you know, when I started thinking about that, (laughs) that's where I was just kind of like, my experience as a Black woman has played a huge role in why I chose to be a director, how I am as a director, and how I choose to be as an educator. You know, I went to one of my professors when they were like, well, what's going to be your research topic? Because, you know, you take research class, which, again, I just hated research class. I think I <laughs> cried when I submitted my, my capstone research thesis. And it was crazy because I remember handing it to my professor and or emailing it to my professor. And I get to class and he's like, Tiffany, I read it. The edits were wonderful. Did, did anybody help you with that? And I was like, I stayed up till 2 a.m. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just here. i just, uh. he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, it was great. He was like, it was amazing. He was like, I could tell you, like, you went in and you dug deep. And it was like, he's like, it's so great. And I was just like, okay, I guess. I, you know, I'm freaking out. Thank I'm you. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking this amazing professor who, again, has been widely published year and year and year in and year out is telling me my work is crap. And he's like, no, it was great. And I'm just like, okay, it was great. You know, but I really, I said, one of the things that stood out to me was when I walked into a room, I was the only black woman. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I was the only black person or the only person of color in a, a room for directors. And I started to question that and I started to say, well, why? And then I started to question, do I fit in? Again, kind of like I did when I was in my, starting my graduate program, do I even fit in here? Yeah. And where is my place? And how do I stand on firm on where my place is, even though it looks different from yours and how do I feel confident in that? And so- When I started thinking about what I wanted to produce, I, you know, I didn't think of a website initially because you had to build everything from scratch. So some people did beginning band manuals and some people did, you know, other brochures and other types of things. And I just said, what if there was a place, a hub, where Black women and, and other women of color could go to to get resources to find mentors to get paired with mentors who look like them who may teach in the same area who may you know be professors or anything in the same area where can they go to get resources like maybe you know I'm teaching and I need some type of handout and I I can't get resources either from my district or people in my district or in my area where can I get that kind of stuff where can I go to find the latest research on different things in music education and where can i just go to see some really good girl talk some podcasts mm-hmm. and and some vlog t- type stuff and so you know i started thinking of this and that's where black girls do band 2 came from and it really you know again it was all those things and i was just like i have to create this website and so when you go to the website there's everything from i took actually popular well, I call them famous. They're band famous. They're famous in our world. Um, <laughs> I took these black collegiate directors and, and famous black female conductors from across the country, whether they were band or orchestra. And I'm, I put them into these inspirational posters. And so um, I'm like, you know, if you're a director who has young black girls or young women of color in your program, print these out, put them up. If you're yeah. not the representation, you should still be sticking, you know, or or join the, you know. Minority Band Directors National Association. There's always information, they're always lauding and applauding people of color who are, who are doing things, who are, who are getting these promotions at these different universities. That's how I found out about a lot of stuff. I was like, this is a hidden community, but it's actually not hidden. It's just not well known. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so amazing because even in there, I'm starting to see how many people are the first things that we're learning about these new composers that are coming out with these amazing works. And you know, who's got picked up by this and who's got picked up by that. If you're just in that group, You can find information, print it out, put it up on the wall, do a college board and then do a board on like, you know, people of color who are doing great things. And so I started that mentality of like, okay, this is something that directors can use to create representation in their room when they're not the the representation of their kids, because I think that even that's qualified or even showing them you know, this is what people do. For my students, you know, we had to teach online. So they had a project where I gave them different bands, and they had to rate the bands, and they had to give feedback on positive constructive criticism, though, on how, (laughs) you know, those bands could get better or backing up why they gave, you know, those bands, the scores they gave. And my kids so enjoyed it. But I mean, again, I, I was showing them visuals of this is what it looks like as a professional performer, as a pre-professional performer, as a high school performer, as a college performer, as an orchestral performer, as a concert band performer, like, and so they, again, representation, right? It doesn't have to just come from the person in front of them. And so that, I had that in mind. And then again, I, I interviewed some amazing Black female band directors from urban Title I schools who were, At the time in not just to kind of see if we had similar experiences. That was really what my initial thought was. Do we even, you know, are we connected some kind of way? Is this like a sisterhood of traveling pants where we just some kind (laughs) of weird way we all like share, you know, the same, you know, same item of clothing, you know, no matter where it goes. And throughout those interviews, I talked to a director who had been teaching for like 30 years out in Oakland, California. Yeah. Similar experiences blew my mind and she had been teaching for 30 plus years another young lady who taught out in Chicago Illinois again so many similarities and I'm like you experienced that too oh my mm-hmm. gosh I'm not suffering in silence anymore you know so you know and then I had the chance to speak with another and she's now earned her PhD this year I'm so proud of her she defended her dissertation but now she's actually a collegiate professor on the east coast as well and in the north carolina area but you know even having her hearing her story of going from being a middle school director to a high school director to a collegiate director and like what that journey was like and then you know asking her questions similar so many similarities and so i felt like okay i'm not the only one in the room i may just be the only one in this room but mm-hmm. there's like a whole group of us who are having similar experiences and so bringing that to the table just so again it's a it's another visual it's it's you know it's a series of vlogs but you get to see this interview and you get to kind of see the connection happening because I didn't know these women prior to I just like sent out you know had my IRB approval and sent out my stuff and you know people when people said they were interested in interviews I was like somebody actually is interested you know and yeah. I didn't know how it was going to turn out to be but By the end, we just felt so connected. Like, I just felt amazing about that. And I'm hoping that that's what people get out of those vlogs. The research that I used to back a lot of the thoughts and the research that was presented when I presented my research at the state conferences up there, lots of good articles and good writings that were coming from professional journals about why we don't have a lot of Black women in secondary education and and Mm -hmm. why we don't have a lot of Black female band directors in urban Title I schools. There wasn't any research. I yep. had to piece it together, you know when you type in that specific, you know you can 't get it, so I had to look at it from different aspects, the social aspect of why aren't there black women you know in more um, urban settings you know why aren't there more black women matriculating through you know post secondary programs you know so I started using that to to pull together like to use it as the the egg and the glue to really kind of help bring my thoughts all together, and all of it really it made sense you know once yeah. you think of a lot of black women are coming from like I said, unless they're coming from suburban or, or areas that are a little bit more affluent or more diverse areas, because now suburban and urban are, they're kind of synonymous depending on where you live. But you know, just more diverse areas or where they kind of have a little bit more privilege to be able to do things, whether they experience band earlier, or they have people who look like them, or they take private lessons, and they're super ready when they get to college, they go to these top colleges and bam. You yeah. know, they have a different experience and sometimes college shapes your perspective too. And you come back and you're like, okay, I don't want to work at a school like the one I came from, where somebody like me, because I didn't have that experience as a kid, it wasn't even afforded to me. I'm so passionate about coming back and working in these schools.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of my friends, she was like, well, why? Like, you, you're you so talented. You could go work at any school and do all these great things. And I'm like, because then who would be there for the kids? I know, yeah. I know who I am. I know I'm going to support these kids. I'm going to champion them. Like they need that. They don't have a lot of that in their lives. They don't have a lot of teachers on this campus who even are like that. I was like, and then if it's not me, you're going to have a high, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be a high turnover. And then they're going to just not have anybody. They're going to shut the program down. Yeah. So I look at that as it's my obligation almost as a black woman to come back into these black and brown communities and to serve there because I know that there's value there. And I know that those kids deserve just as equal of an education. And so because when I came into the field, I didn't have a mentor, you know, I wasn't assigned a mentor. I relied on a lot of my previous professors but I had to create a lot of things on my own or I had to go find stuff or piece it together and so on the website is also like a hub of like different things that you could use to you know give to parents so like parent letters what do you do on like the first week of school when you're doing you know instrument testing what should you be sending home to parents you know or what should you be doing you know when it's coming around to a recital Yes, you have to put that program together, but how do you go through planning out a full program? Um, Or how do you even, you know, draft up, you know, logistics sheets, right? Like just the business aspect of it, you know, how do I put logistics together? You know, so there's a couple of documents up there and it should be allowing people to submit documents to add to the bank. So Mm. the goal was, again, you could come here and it's just a hub of information. And then of course, you know, obviously there's just, you know, so much more they could potentially be, but the ultimate goal was to be able to pair people with mentors. Because a lot of times, you know, there are these great and outstanding things that are happening with the state organizations or even local district band director groups who, you know, they have great ways of pairing with mentors, but maybe your mentor just doesn't understand you. Or they don't understand your experience or they don't understand why you're choosing to teach where you're teaching and so sometimes just to have somebody who's not going to go back and forth with you about the choices you're making as a professional if i graduated from an hbcu and i'm teaching at a high school and they're not doing course style i'm choosing to have them do you know show style like i don't need my mentor telling me well your kids should be doing this and this is why you're not getting ones your job as a mentor is to say well, why don't you make sure your kids, if they're not marching clean, that they're playing clean? Because then you can mm. at least improve your scores there. Or if they're playing well, okay, maybe we need to work on their tone quality. Maybe they're just playing super loud and super great, but there's no, you know, inflection in the music. Stop. We have to stop picking at each other. Yeah to getting what we want to see out of somebody. That's not how you, you mentor someone. You have to help them fulfill who they are. Mm. And so me inflecting my thoughts on you, that's not my job as your mentor. And I love the fact that I've, I've been a department chair and I had 13 teachers under me at my last school. And the beautiful thing about it was as a band director, you know, I've taught kids who are all over the place, right? But then to have now all of the fine arts and all of the other electives, including like PE and technology under me, I'm like running professional development for them. And I'm I'm realizing that the things I'm saying now are the things that I was saying then, you know? I realized a lot of mentors are so dead set on making carbon copy clones of them. I don't want you to be a carbon copy clone of me because I'm not a carbon copy clone of anybody, I'm myself. And I had Mm -hmm. to realize that for myself. And so I think with mentorship should come empowerment of self, right? And so even my view of this website being a hub for that, the ultimate goal is to again, find, find yourself and then pushing yourself out to be a better educator. When you find yourself and you're validated in that you can stand on your truth, that's gonna be the best thing for your kids. My kids know when they come to my room, I'm about my business, I'm a broken record, I'm gonna love on you hard, I'm gonna stay on you, I'm gonna make sure you know your stuff because you're just as qualified as any other kid that's in the city that's learning music too. It doesn't matter that your zip code looks like this or that you live in something that looks like this or that you don't get three meals a day or that there is trauma in the household or that your school is just falling apart brick by brick or whatever, you know, like, a lot of the kids I teach, they're already up against so much. And Mm. I tell them, I don't pity you. And I don't want you to pity yourself. Mm. But I need to, you know, and now I'm kind of on this thing about how does trauma that I think that's gonna be the next layer, like how does trauma impact that, right? Because a lot of times we say, well, take that negative and turn it into a positive. Kids don't know how to do that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Kids, There is no magic light switch. They're not like our generation. They can't just You know, I had a lot of things that I had to deal with growing up in a single parent household in the middle of Brooklyn, which at the time in the 80s and 90s was just hood. And Mm -hmm. like, that's what it is, right? Like, that's where I grew up. I'm proud of that. I feel like that a lot of that made me who I am. But, you know, again, I had some great teachers along the way who were able to say, you know yes this is your surrounding but you're so you're you're so much better for being able to get out and come back and then do something like yeah. you know first you have to get out and do what you need to do and then you can come back and then you can make it better and so you know ultimately when i started thinking about black girls do Van's i was thinking of that in mind what about that girl who is like me you know who who doesn't know where to start who doesn't have anybody holding her hand who has to figure it out all on her own, who may be working in the middle of Iowa. And she is one of her only you know, where can she go? So that's where the, the, the idea of the website came from. And then again, I just started thinking of things that like, I really needed as a young director, and that I needed early on that I didn't have. And I'm still amazed. I'm like, man, my kids survived me. Like, you know, <laughs> I think about that now, because I think about who, who I am as an educator now. And I'm like, man, if they would have had me now, like, and then yeah, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. you know, you know, hindsight is 2020. 20, but you know, I really think about I'm just proud of the things that I've done. And I feel like at one point being almost ashamed of not only where I was from, how I grew up, my journey into music, and and then now where I choose to teach and how I choose to teach. I was ashamed of that for a long time. And I feel like, you know, this website allowed me to be me. It allowed me to show my voice. It allowed me to feel comfortable in my truth. And it allowed me to showcase like, I'm the bomb.com. Like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we don't give ourselves enough credit. And for a long time, I was doing some amazing things in the classroom and I would never tell anybody. You, wow. I, you know, I wouldn't even give myself the credit for the things that I was doing and the amazing things that my kids were doing because of the teaching that I was giving them. And just a testament to, you know, how much kids enjoy the program because I think that the byproduct of good teaching is kids just loving the learning. Mm. You know, some kids will never be great musicians. My job, and I tell my kids all the time, my job is not to make you uh, a perfect musician. That's not what my goal here is. My goal here is to make you a better person. Mm -hmm. My goal here is for by the time you get out of middle school is, you know, maybe you can only play two or three scales for one octave. (sighs) You know, as (laughs) as as much as the inner me is like, but you should really be. I'm like, yeah. I just care that the fact that you you've gone from being a squirmy little sixth grader to now an eighth grader who can consistently come to class and you're prepared and you're knowledgeable and you know how to use your vocabulary correctly and you know how to effectively communicate with the people around you. That's my job. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of directors who are like, but that's not all you do. The kids learning is the byproduct of how good you teach and how much fun they have in the learning. That's another byproduct of how good you teach. So, you know, a lot of times we think we have to pressure our kids to do stuff. That's the opposite way. It's, we're not supposed to pressure them. They'll feel pressure on themselves because they want to rise to the occasion. Mm. You know, I think I've had really great solid band programs because I've never wavered on those high expectations and I've never let kids sink to that point where they just kind of, you know, kind of float at the bottom. I'm like, nope, you can stay there, but don't stay there too long. Like we've got to get it. We've got to do what we need to do. You know, I want to be able to, to kind of push the website in that direction more next, you know, like, okay, now that, now that you've, you've gotten the job and you've worked the job for a couple of years, what are those, what do those next years look like? Right? Like, (laughs) I remember telling somebody like, okay, now that I've done the first X amount of years, like I'm looking at year like seven through 15, like, what does that look like? it looks totally different now. You know what I'm saying? Now Mm -hmm. that I've, you know, over a decade doing this now, I'm like, okay, it looks totally different. And just my mindset has shifted so much, you know, on how I look at teaching and and educating kids. And sometimes I go to sessions and I'm like, what are you saying, dude? Like (laughs) that is, I don't know how that works for your kids. It just sounds like you're making your kids like drill and kill and do this and do that. You know, are they really happy musicians? Is that going to Is that going to make them not only happy, well-rounded kids, but is that going to make them a happy musician? Or are they going to get out of school and they're going to loathe everything that went into being a musician and think that it's too cumbersome, and then they're never going to come back? Mm -hmm. You know, I play in a community ensemble where like 80% of the ensemble, they're not musicians on a day-to-day basis, whether music teachers or professionals. 80%. And so it's just kind of like so amazing that these these are literally the lifelong learners that we talk about. Yeah. They had a great experience. They may not have been the best player, you know, they may but they had such a great experience learning. They're like, "Okay, I want to play in a community band as an adult." And, you know, I just enjoy it cuz it reminds me of the good times I had, you know, not the fact that my director was barking at me and same thing with the discipline everybody's like well it instills discipline no you can instill discipline without you know having to be a drill sergeant I totally Mm -hmm. believe that oh yeah um, but again it goes back to we teach the way we're taught I had a professor who asked us a question about why did you become a director was it because you loved what you were doing and you realized that this was you know something that you wanted to take to the next level and teach other people to do or was it because of the experience you had or was it because you wanted to be like your great band director and so many people were like I wanted to be like my great band director and I'm like I had a horrible first band director <laughs> I had a male a male direct a white male director he taught beginning band he was awful he was mean he was he act like he just didn't want to teach the class like he just you know they made him teach it it was a super small class but you know again I just knew like this is something i love like never mind what he's doing like yep. i really like doing this and i had friends who were already you know in advanced bands and they were like yeah come on like it's so much better once you get out of beginning band and so you know i just i think about that so i think the next layer to the website will probably be like what do you do when you're like in those that next section of your career right mm-hmm. like that second that second decade and beyond
0: <laughs> yeah. how does your
1: teaching change because Your teaching should change as you get older. It shouldn't stay the same. It shouldn't stay stagnant because as you learn, you grow. And as you grow, you want to teach your kids the things that you're learning. And so I'm so excited about that, you know, that next step. And really just, again, digging into, you know, lots of things that are going on with kids. You know, we're dealing with COVID-19. So right now I'm having the conversations with colleagues about You know, people like, well, we got to get them back in the band room. They got to get practicing. They got to get this. There's lots of time on the horn. And I'm like, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, by the time they get back on their horns, they'll be fine. The school I started at in January, they had been asking me to come to the school for several years. And I was like, I'm fine where I am. (laughs) And um, my, my last school had a shift in leadership and a shift in direction. And it just didn't align with what I was trying to build. And they were sad to see me go, but they understood why I needed to leave. And so I come to this school. I'm the fourth band director in three years. Mm-hmm. The first black female band director. I've got some notches in my belt. You know, I'm a pretty tough cookie. The kids, they think they're tough, but I'm tougher. And so, you know, we had such a successful spring until COVID hit. We were about to be on instruments, but the first six weeks I had them, they were looking at sheet music. They were looking at fingering charts. I was like, before I put you on an instrument, you will at least know how to take care of your instrument, how to hold your instrument, what the first five notes are before you play a note. And I was so fortunate because once I started handing out instruments, kids were like, oh my gosh, like I know how to hold it. I remember how my first five notes go. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it was such an atypical way. If you walked into my bedroom during week four, you were probably like, what the hell are your kids doing? (laughs) What are you teaching them? This is not, where's your essential elements book? And I'm like, no, I want my kids to be able to say, Because they've had such traumatic experience with other band directors, because they have such a loss in trust in the system of adults in this room and of the the art that we're producing, I've got to structure this a different way. I can't just pull out a book and say, read it. You know, we have to go through some rhythm exercises before I can give you a fingering chart. And then I can give you a fingering chart and we can talk about instrument care. And then I can put you on an instrument, no mouthpieces, and you can just get used to the, you know, the dexterity. So I really had to start thinking about that. And that's where I think a lot of directors fail. They stop trying to push themselves to think of what can I do better? What has to be different to meet my kids where they are? And so I just want to keep, again, loading all that stuff onto the website so that it can just, for people who are having the same realizations, who are in the same sisterhood of traveling pants as me, they can, they can say, okay, wow. So I, I am thinking about that. How do you go about doing that? Or, oh, I never thought about that before, you know? And then that's why starts the dialogue. You yeah. know, I think that's what it's all about, being able to learn from each other. So,
0: Yeah, so everybody should check out her website, blackgirlsdoband2.weebly.com. Yeah. No matter who you are or what you look like, there's some great resources on there, especially if you teach in a more diverse school setting and you want to provide more resources for your kids. Because I feel like a lot of teachers, especially white teachers, struggle to find resources and things for their kids and they're they're trying the attention is there and the motivation is there but sometimes they feel like they're a little lost in trying to find these resources and that's why I think your website is so great because you have it like all there, laid out for them boom use it so that's great
1: and I actually had a friend she's she's a white she was a white elementary teacher and she said I hate And I feel like I have to keep coming to you with questions and asking you, you know, I don't want you to feel like you're my token friend and that, you know, I have to keep asking you questions. And I'm like this, that's another one of the reasons why it's there. I don't mind. I can't speak for the entire black delegation. You know, I'm not the voice of all black people. I can only speak from my perspective, but you know, I'd rather you ask somebody, I would rather you feel comfortable enough to ask me, you know, because as a professional colleague, I should be able to share that with you to help you get a better understanding. You know, even little things like hair. Like I have the conversation about hair all the time. You know, what what should you and should you not do about kids, black kids and their hair, you know? Mm. And you think of something so small where people don't think about it, but I'm like, you know, don't get curious one day and just, you know, if a kid has dreadlocks, just go and touch like, ask you know it's, it's hair that's growing from their head it's a part of their body please don't you know do things or like what's culturally inappropriate versus what's mm-hmm. culturally appropriate you know different things like that I mean again I think we need to start having those conversations as colleagues because yeah it's so important that's how we're going to move each other forward because if we're not having the dialogue where are you getting the information from hmm. Right. People of color have to start sharing their stories and sharing their experiences to help our colleagues who are probably not from the same background. That's the only way you're going to understand. And then still understanding that everybody's background is so different, you know, coming from the Northeast and now living and working in the South you know, I'm bringing along some experiences that I had, you know, from learning on the East Coast versus now teaching in in the Gulf South, the Southwest, totally different than my friends who are teaching out in California, or, Mm -hmm. you know, even those that are still teaching on the East Coast where I'm from. So, you know, I think that even podcasts like yours, Cassidy, is so important, and it's so necessary, because it's not enough to just give the voice, right? It's, it's, Again, it's that conversation of sparking our colleagues to just think beyond what they know. And then it's okay to challenge what you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay for you to say, I don't know anything about that. You know, I I, I want to know, or I think I want to know, but, you know, I'm not sure how to go about it. So you're giving, your platform is just so amazing. Um, Thank you. When my colleague reached out to me, she's like, I sent your info. Is it okay if I send your information? I mean, I kind of already sent it. And I was like, <laughs> sure. I was like, I, you know, I've gotten to this place now where I feel like it's important to have the conversation Yeah, because that's where it starts, right? We have to keep edifying ourselves and, and helping our friends along the way. So
0: yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It was so great talking to you. Hey. And you have just such amazing perspective and such great things to say. And I'm so glad you agreed to come on and talk about your life and also your website because I think that's going to be an amazing resource for so many people. So I want to thank you so, so much.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you in your podcast. I'm going to be thank sharing you. and listening and sharing and listening because I can't wait to hear more perspectives. And, and thank you for giving a voice to the underrepresented community. We really, we appreciate it. On behalf of everybody, we appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you.